Support for the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. Manscaped is taking over the world and is now available in all of Europe, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. You know who Manscaped today? About two hours before you're listening to this? Zinedine Zidane, right before he went to the pregame press conference for the Huesca game, and he dropped some bombs. He was... Not happy, but you can't deal with the press unless you manscape. So kudos to Zidane for using the promo code Managing Madrid upon checkout. Go to manscape.com, get 20% off your order. You have to use Managing Madrid when you check out. That's one word, Managing Madrid, over at manscape.com for 20% off. And this is all their new technology. This is premium. And when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes. So you can take a longer shave. You can basically take it with you wherever you need to go it's compact it's very easy to clean again get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code managing madrid at manscape.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscape.com and use managing madrid your balls will thank you nice article in the managing madrid uh blog uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there and worth reading about that man there Hello and welcome to a Friday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Keon Sabani. It is preview day. Real Madrid have had a nice week's rest in between games. That's because, well, they're not good enough to be going into a deep Copa run, apparently, um, which may be a silver lining in this league title race, if you actually believe there is one. And I thought they aren't running away with it. As he done with a very short fuse today in the press conference, just before we started recording, um, said that, you know, we're league champions, we're going to defend our title, we're going to fight. Believe that at your own peril. Um, But we are here to preview tomorrow's game against Huesca. And as always, our preview specialist, tactical guru, analyst, everything, scouting report specialist, puts an endless amount of hours to to help managing Madrid preview all these games. Jose Perez is here. Jose, how you doing? Hello, Kian, and hello, everyone. It's, yeah, it's been kind of an intense week for Madridistas, quite, like, it's just, yeah, it's it's not great times, to put it that way, to be supporting the team, because, uh, yeah, like, things are not things are not looking great, and I guess, given Zidane's demeanor today, he agrees on that. Are you excited about tomorrow's game? What is your emotion level? Like, what's, let's do a quick, uh, quick heat check, barometer. Where are you on the scale of, like, excitement, 1 to 10? Uh, from a, from a Real Madrid fan perspective, uh, yeah, it's more like a five because I feel this is one of these games that is going to look that looks like easy because it's like the last place team and everything. But because they switch coaches recently and a lot of things have changed and they're playing better, I I, ha- I am afraid that it will be one of those games that will end up being a lot more difficult than it looks like. I think it's going to be what you just said, more difficult than it looks like. I and mean, look, every game in La Liga has been difficult for us. But um, I think it's more difficult than it looks like. And it's also um, 
it also has the potential for like one of those 4-1 weird victories where it's like, oh, 4-1, this is a nice scoreline. It's not entirely like edge of your seat. We're jumping out of our seat, but it's like just enough to to kind of ease the tensions a little bit, but it actually doesn't really solve any problems. Funny, funnily enough, the last time Real Madrid played against Huesca was a 4-1 victory in which Eden Hazard scored, rest in peace, and Karim Benzema scored a brace. And uh, we'll we'll revisit that uh, to an extent uh, during this podcast. I wanted to get your thoughts quickly on Zidane's press conference before we get into more Huesca stuff. Um, because I just want to kind of hear your raw emotional reaction to this because you haven't really had time to think about it, nor have I much. But, um, but that's because the, these quotes basically came in. Uh, Ewan McTeer was at the press conference virtually for Managing Madrid, and uh, he posted the quote. So they come in, came in before we started recording. So he had a bit of a short fuse in this one, and he was asked about um, just basically his job security, I guess. Again, I didn't attend it, so I don't know the entire context, but um, he was very, very agitated, according to all the reports, according to Ewan. And so here's what he started off with, a little bit of a rant. He said, we deserve to keep fighting for the title. It was us who won La Liga last year. It was Real Madrid. That was last year. It's not like it was 10 years ago. So let us fight. The questions make me laugh. You are doing your job. But one day, you say I'll be kicked out of the club. And the next day, I'm inside the club. If we draw or lose, then apparently I'll be sacked. That's what you're doing. So it upsets me because we're trying to do our job. We do our job and you do your job. But you should show some respect for our work. So I don't know, um, again, I don't know the context of the question. I don't know who asked it. I think that, that matters to him. It probably like triggers him depending on who, who asked it. Uh, I don't know the context of that. But do you think the criticisms of him and Real Madrid are, are fair or unfair? So this is always a fun question to talk about because while I do think uh, that the criticisms are fair at the same time, I also have zero doubt that Zidane is trying to do his best in all of this. It's just that right now is a situation where um, I guess I had a lot more faith at the beginning of the season, especially seeing how Zidane had evolved uh, past uh, last season. I thought that he was going to able to evolve further, and we're, and he's going he was going to be able to adapt uh, to to what seemed to be a squad that didn't align so well with what he liked and, w- and with what he wanted to do. And it hasn't happened. So, uh, like, in a way, yes, it, it has been underwhelming. Uh, the team has a lot of issues. Uh, but it's not just Zidane's fault. It's a situation where clearly uh, Zidane's intentions and philosophy and, well, or at least what he values uh, uh, in players does not quite align with the club's recruitment policy so and that kind of issue that's not just Zidane's fault yeah I I, I think look I, I think like on, on to some degree you know a, a kind of a snappy version of him was inevitable um, and actually like people will say this is the first time he kind of he's had he's reached this kind of this level of frustration that might be true but he's actually appeared like this every few months throughout his Real Madrid career and he's talked about like how demanding this job is how difficult it is and how taxing it is and uh, you know this is Real Madrid so it kind of kind of comes with the territory you you know you you give and you take and you 
go through all these things, you're put to the sword, it's intense pressure, we all know that. But I do think um, this is this is my feeling, this is subjective, this is kind of the way I look at things. I would like him to come out and say more like this is what this is what I could do better. This is what I've done wrong. This is what we need to do better. He doesn't do that much. I also like he's had the the famous quote this year where he says it's not my fault and all this stuff. And I, look, some things are out of his control, right? Uh, we're, I don't want I don't want to rehash it, this part of it because we've talked about it so much in the podcast. People are going to be tired of us talking about it. Um, the classic example of like you know a lot of people said it's not Varane's fault or it's not Militao's fault that. They made those. It's or sorry, it's not Zidane's fault that Varane and Militao made those mistakes against Manchester City in the second leg at the Etihad. Um, and my response to that was always like, "Yes, that's true, but it is his fault that he didn't put the team in a better position to be press resistant, knowing that Manchester City are going to press them." And I and I think like things like that, I think it's a uh, require a little bit of a holistic take, and and you kind of there are there is criticism for everyone to go around. Um, I also I also wanted to tie this into the uh, the Odegaard discussion, which was also a subject of the press conference, which I want to read to you this quote as well. On Odegaard, he said, um, he wanted to leave and play more. We spoke about it two or three times. When it's request from the player, um, I mean, I said that he should stay and fight and be calm because it's a long process. He's a player who I asked for us to bring in, but it wasn't to be. It was a decision taken by everyone. So, well, what's your reaction to that? I, I wanted to, I want to go in deeper a little bit. What's your What's your initial reaction to hearing that? So it's not to be honest. That just says out loud uh, a lot of things that we kind of already knew, and uh, we knew. And again, we knew that Sidan had asked for him, and we knew. Uh, but how do I put it? Uh, and I do feel that in a way, Odegaard was a bit impatient let's just say that there have been young Real Madrid players who had to wait a lot longer to get a chance than Odegaard did um but I also understand why Odegaard feels that he should have just left and get more minutes in a different team in a different team so it might like it, it hurts to say it but yes because what I would have wanted is a future where yes we have Odegaard playing uh being a Real Madrid player and succeeding in Real Madrid but yeah, it's a situation where apparently it is it was not to be. And honestly, from the words we keep from what we keep hearing or, for example, from these sedan statements. Uh, yeah, like these things just make me. I already had little hope that he was going to that Odegaard was going to come back. And these kinds of things make it clear that, yeah, he were probably not going to see him. Uh, in a Real Madrid shirt soon, unless like Sidan leaves by the end of the season or something like that. When you bring in one of the league's best attacking players from the eye test analytical perspective and don't play him and then ask him to fight, I think it's a little bit of a conflicting ideology to me. And I also I also just want to point this out. I think it's very key and important. People will say, you know, they they try they tend to label blame so there's two extremes one is they'll they'll blame Odegaard for being impatient the other extreme is they blame Real Madrid for for letting him go I think that this is like a one of the maybe the under under discussed narratives in all this is that actually the relationship between Real Madrid and Odegaard is is fine like they came to this conclusion together right 
Odegaard does not have legal power over Real Madrid to say, I'm going to Arsenal on loan. The club has every right to be like, well, you're our player. No, you can stay. And it, it was clear, obviously, like the discussion went something like this. Odegaard said, I want to play more. Zidane said, I want, you, I want to keep you here. You fight. We need your depth. And Odegaard was like, it's really important for me to play at this stage in my career. I want to go. And then Real Madrid said, okay, well, it seems like this could be the best involved for all parties. You get to play more. We get to not have to deal with um, this question every week of why did why was Odegaard on the bench or not. And then if it works out at Arsenal, you come back and possibly claim a place. I, I think if Real Madrid really thought that this was a really difficult unsolvable situation or maybe not that or if they really didn't want to send him alone they, they could have just said no you're staying I, I feel like maybe that's one of the narratives that has been swept under the radar this could actually benefit everybody and it may not I mean you and I have talked about why it may not benefit or why why it may kind of looked at all those angles before but this is something that you know the club f- clearly felt it was it was an option and it was a it was a good option to take otherwise they could have just kept him Yeah, and that being, and of course, uh, from and from Zidane's perspective, he was not going to do that because, like, yeah, you don't want to have a player who doesn't want to be there. So, the other thing is Jose, like, he's publicly said, like, you know, we want Odegaard. I want. I'm the one who brought him in. He also says on the other side of the coin, we need to be patient with Hazard. He also says, um, I want Isco to stay. And like, does he real? Does he understand that all three of these players entities are competing with each other? So if you want all of them to be here, you can't possibly expect them all to be happy at the same time if they're all competing with each other. That That is also the other thing. So when he said, that's why I think when he says, like, I want him to fight for his place, like, you know, like, you can't just put a bunch of players in the team that are really good, who play kind of the same position, not really, but kind of because they occupy a spot in the lineup in, in that vicinity, um, and then expect them all to be happy and expect them to be patient and fight for. I, I just don't think that work. It works that way in the real world, and it might in his reality. And maybe he should. He feels that the players should be more understanding than they are, and uh, and then he has to deal with the questions. I think the reality is much different. I think you can't keep them all happy. You can't possibly expect them all to be patient. These are players at different stages of their career. Isco's in his theoretical peak. He wants to play. Odegaard is in a very important stage of his career, not at his peak, but developing needs minutes, needs match rhythm, everything he understandably wants to play. I don't think there's, I don't, that's why I don't blame him for being patient. So that's where I kind of stand on it. And, um, and, and I think Zidane's expectations were a little bit unrealistic, if, if that, if that makes sense. So, and now, but they, now this is, yeah. East Coast the winner uh, of all this, by the way. I assume. I assume. <laughs> unless, is, unless, so yeah. the, the East Coast thing could go two ways. It could go somehow he doesn't play again, which would be, which would be interesting to see if he's really fallen off that much. Or he plays, um, and then if he plays, he can either get back to his best or just basically show Real Madrid that, you know, he just doesn't have it anymore. So I'm, I, I guess I'm kind of interested to see how that goes. I'm not excited about it, but, um, uh, but th- but he's he's the, the potential biggest winner of all this. Yeah, in my from my side, I've lost hope, hope in Isco a long time ago. I the the one thing I will say to close this is that uh, there was um, there's a very nice article recently from uh, what's his name Alberto Hea, like a Spanish journalist who yes 
quoted something that to me that to me was very insightful from Bielsa, which is giving opportunities to the king, just give them minutes, but to but to not let them fail. And and that's kind of the spirit of. Uh, uh, and the thing is that Real Madrid is not really like if we go by that. Real Madrid is not really a club that gives opportunities to its youngsters. Like this, it, it's basically sing. It's it's always been kind of sink or swim, and it's just another example that yeah, we don't like this club doesn't seem to have the patience uh, to like even just give a player like five games in a row, and and uh, even though the performance in those five to ten games might not be as good, you need. Yeah, you need to give them that time so that they can develop. And yeah, we do, we don't have the patience for that. And I do think that uh, there's always pros and cons to that approach. Uh, some at at some point, yeah, I guess where where we are right now in a situation where I think all of this kind of short term need for results will eventually harm the club long term in trying to build a good project that's how i feel too that's how i feel too i feel like you know we haven't seen the dominoes yet of this of these decisions um a lot of talk about Mm -hmm. isco and diamond and stuff like that on yesterday's podcast with lucas and i'll be writing about it uh next week so we'll file that for now let's talk about huesca so let's um maybe we'll start with with this they have a new coach since we last played them, right? Can you talk us through maybe the differences from the last time we played Huesca earlier this season to now? Um, maybe talk about Michel, who was who was dismissed and why he was dismissed, and then maybe lead us into the new manager. Absolutely. So, uh, so the interesting thing about Michel is that he is a coach who has. Uh, a very unique proposition for like newly promoted La Liga teams because normally the way you stay afloat in La Liga tends to be by using more defensive systems, the 4-4-2s that I've been talking a lot about in my writing before. Uh, And Michel does the other thing. Like he he was going for like the full positional play 4-3-3. What he wants his team to be ball dominant. It's a pretty ballsy approach, of course, to do that. But... Uh, there's a reason why most newly promoted teams don't do that. It's uh, something that needs more squad talent to get results. Huesca did some good moves on the market, but not enough to really succeed in in first division with that plan. Because when I see Huesca, uh, Michel's Huesca, I saw what was I what I thought was a pretty good team collectively, but they really lacked the talent and the goal scoring punch to really. Uh, to really get the results, and to a certain degree, yeah, there were times where they were just a bit unlucky. So that's kind of the story of Michel Suesca. I think it was a good team, but you need more than good collective mechanisms to stay afloat. You need you need a certain degree of talent and goal scoring and luck to do it, and they couldn't do it. Um, I and and so t- tell us about um, Pacheta, who is um, who is their new manager in charge, and I think this is part of the reason why. You seem to think that this maybe this game is a little bit more difficult than it looks on paper because they may be experiencing some kind of new new manager bounce, right? 
Uh, yes. So the, the new manager bounce here is happening. And yeah, and, and that allows me to talk, talk a bit about Pacheta, who is uh, who is an inter- is an interesting, not too different of like most Spanish coach. He was a former player in the lower divisions, spent he has had like a 12 year long career coaching career up to now, mostly uh, all, all of it in the lower divisions, too. He has never coached in first division um the big the big thing with pacheta in the last two years is that he managed elche from 2018 to 2020 he got the team promoted to la liga uh in 2020 even though elche was among the five six lowest budgets in segunda so it's it, honestly it's kind of a miracle what he did with elche and just two days uh after they got promoted then uh, El- Elche sacked him because of tensions with the new club owner, and the new club owner is Maradona's representative. So many, <laughs> so many things. Huh. So um, one of the things that I'm I'm kind of curious about because Pacheta, um, as as you outlined to me off air, was um, or has a has a deep admiration, as you put it, for for Marcelo Bielsa. So. When you think about a uh, kind of a Bielsa team, um, I mean, in, in some ways, it's actually interesting because um, right now, Huesca play a little bit unorthodox um, to a small team, maybe. But but Bielsa is kind of very much um, play. You know, his style of play is a, is an outlier. I guess I'll say that for uh, for smaller teams, right? It's not a typical blueprint that smaller teams will follow. And oftentimes Bielsa, you think like he's managing some kind of um, billion-dollar squad the way he plays. And uh, I'm curious to know how that applies here. What have they taken from from the Bielsa playbook, um, or what has Pacheta taken from the Bielsa playbook? Yes. So this is a, so yeah, this is very much the case of a, of a Bielsa fanboy. Um, what I think the main characteristic when I think Bielsa teams and when I think Pacheta teams is that they are physically very intense. They are teams that not only are like they are both coaches that want their players to run a lot in the sense that their teams gonna are going to be pressing a lot. But at the same time, once the press gets beat the players run back like hell, like run back like hell to, right. to form a deep block into defense. So it's pretty complete teams it's a pretty complete team defensively that can press well but can also defend deep and i think that's the big difference with say michel's huesca that always had this kind of mid block that didn't really press that much but also didn't defend well uh, the deep areas so that's interesting because i wanted to pick your brain about that a little bit because when when we talk about like high pressing teams that then go into a low block it's such a conflicting thing to me and it's not an easy thing to do, right? Because when a press breaks, you're not really in a great position to all of a sudden transform into a low block. That requires some variables that are out of your control, such as how good is that team that just broke your press? Are they getting to point A to point B in five seconds? And in that in that case, it's irrelevant if you can actually get into a low block or not. So talk about maybe that ideology and why it's risky, why it's difficult to do, maybe why we don't see many teams do it, because there's there's low block teams and then there's high pressing teams, and then if you want to combine the two, that seems a little bit 
um, a little bit of a challenging thing to do unless you've been basically doing it for a long time. Yeah, and it and it and it requires above all a lot of running. Yes. A lot of running so that you can shorten that transition time as much as possible. I think there was like there was once like uh, say this video of like Bielsa's leads like r tracking back where like where you could see clearly yes, how I remember that. everyone yeah. was tracking back and that's kind of yeah. the spirit that you need to make this thing work. It looked like they were all on it steroids. It is not easy. Kind of, yeah, I remember that one. But yeah, it is something where you don't just need the physical preparation. You need you need your coach to be also like a really good motivator and to keep the – because a lot of the time uh, your intensity is not just a function of like your physical preparation. It depends on how, how aware mentally you are, how – yeah, how enthusiastic are you about the coach's idea? And yeah, it means that these guys need to be also supremely good motivators to keep the players running like this for for ninety minutes. So it is not, and yeah, it's not an easy thing to do. And that's why the vast majority of teams don't do it. You just stick to one, and you just stick to a high press or a deep block, and that's it. But you doing this thing where you have to run up and down the pitch constantly. Yeah, yeah, it's quite difficult to do. I don't see. I don't know if it's the best path to victory, but it is the path to victory that Bielsa and Pacheta believe, and they'll keep doing. It is. I mean, look from a, and this kind of goes back to the discussion about Michel. It is from a neutral point of view. If like with Michel with his ball dominant philosophy and Pacheta with a high pressing thing and a little bit uh, manic transition defense, from a neutral point of view, you love seeing that, right? I, you know, but if you don't, if you're not really good at it, it's very tough. You know, this what comes to my mind immediately is um, is Paco Paco Jemez, <laughs> who like with Rayo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you weren't a Rayo fan, you would sometimes just throw on the Rayo game just because it was Paco Jemez managing that team. Same thing with Las Palmas when he went there. It was like just fun. It was just fun offense, suicidal defense, and. That was a dream to watch. Like that was from a neutral perspective. That's fun. If you're in it, it seems like it's not necessarily a fun thing. If you're, especially if you're, if you do most of the time just trying to track back and and seeing opponents score against you, it doesn't seem, sound as fun. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you about um, this squad, this Huesca squad. They have some names in this team that I I did anyway kind of just forgot existed or at least forgot that they were at a team like Huesca like for example Pablo um, Pablo Mafeo who uh, you know a couple of years ago was one of the most promising wingbacks in Spain and then you have Sandro Ramirez who really like I, I was never huge on him I even like in with Malaga I, I, I there was a time where Amzor were linked with him and I wasn't that excited for him to come and now, like, you kind of fast forward and his career hasn't panned out that nicely. Um, but he was quite hyped at Malaga, too. So you have players like that. So can you walk us through what their starting 11 is going to be and what the formation they'll play, like, all that stuff? Absolutely. So uh, so for under Pacheta, the big tactical change has been that Michel before was doing, like, this possession-based 3-3. Pacheta has changed the entire the entire thing, and basically 
after experimenting for a couple games with three at the back, he has finally settled into a, what's essentially like a 3-5-2 formation. The defensive block is going to be like a 5-3-2. That's how they're going to defend in a deep block. Um, and it's something that works quite nicely for the profiles that they already have. Uh, the, so going through the lineup, um, the kid... The keeper is Alvaro Fernandez, kind of league average uh, goalie. Uh, the center back. So on the right, you have captain uh, Jorge Pulido, who is very important uh, as a ball-playing defender. Uh, you have now Gaston Silva on the left, who is also a decent ball-playing defender and is now getting more minutes now that uh, it, now that Wesca is playing three at the back. And then you have... Uh, Siova is the Greek center back in the middle who I think this role, like now that uh, uh, Wesca will be defending deeper, this is good for Siovas because he thrives uh, in deep blocks like he did in Leganes. Mm -hmm. um, then if we look at the wingbacks, um, the left one is Javi Galan who will do pretty well as a left back or as a left wing back. And then we have the case of Mafeo who... We remembered from, yes, that 2017-18 season with, with Girona that he played quite well, but he did it as a wingback, and he's been struggling more. Like, under Mitchell, he struggled a bit playing as a right-back. So the change to right wingback might work nicely. He already got two assists against Valladolid uh, last last weekend. So that, that change seems to be... So this change to a back three seems to be pretty beneficial uh, for Wesca going then into the midfield and and forwards right now in that 5-3-2 setup. Then you have three central mids right now, the ones that are going to play tomorrow. Idrisa Dumbia, who is going to be playing the holding midfielder role instead of Pedro Mosquera, who is normally their six, but he's injured right now. And then you have the other two kind of box-to-box -box roles, which are Mikel Rico and Jaime Seoane. Now, those two are going to be, this is again, are, is a very box-to-box Bielsa-style role. So these guys are, are super aggressive in pressing and super aggressive moving into the box to score. And then up front, finally, we have the striker pair, which is Rafa Mir, who is basically tasked to be the main goal scorer of the team, even though he hasn't scored much. And most likely Shinji Okazaki, who is now a kind of veteran and he doesn't score much. He can't run as much, but he still does a lot of good pressing work. When I was uh, revisiting my notes from the Real Madrid Huesca game and just kind of looking at that again to see how it unfolded again the four-one victory, um, they didn't. Real Madrid did not defend Rafa Mir very well, and um, he's had a resurgence now in the in the past game. When was that Valladolid game where he scored a hat trick? Was that how recent was that? Was that their last game? That was last game. That was last so game. Just in time to play against us. As 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 it as is uh, the norm uh, when we face teams that are in form. Um, so with with Rafa Mir scoring a hat trick against Vitaly, but one of the notes that uh, that kept recurring from that last game was that Real Madrid actually left Rafa Mir quite open in that game and they were a little bit lucky that Huesca kind of either looked him off or over hit balls to him uh, but that I think they need to do a better job at marking him when Mendy came on the field it was also interesting because that was one of the rare games uh, uh, Ferland Mendy played at the right back where he came on for Lucas Vazquez who was playing right back at the time and Mendy came off the bench to play right back Marcelo was on the left and on that left side 
um, they just they needed to have coverage for Marcelo because um, Rafa Mir was sneaking into that channel as well. So I think, so having said all that, where do you see them causing Real Madrid problems? Is it through the wings? Is it through the flanks? Um, whether it's offensively or defensively, what what might worry you about playing them tomorrow? Yes. So, well, we kind of just talked about it. The biggest worry will be Rafa Mir uh, once again. And again, he is quite good. He's a pretty smart attacker. He is a big guy, but decently fast. And most importantly, he knows how to find your weak spots. And that's the thing. Like last time, yes, he found... He saw that Marcelo is the weak spot. He attacks there. Uh, this time, I am a bit afraid that he will sense that uh, that channel between Varane and Odriozola will be the weak spot, and he will attack there. And Huesca might be set up in such a way to make it easier for, for him because, again, the wingbacks are going to be pretty aggressive, and I have a feeling that what what we might see is this situation where uh, Huesca uses their wingbacks to try to, att- to attract Real Madrid fullbacks to them and then open up spaces that their attackers and midfielders can run into. So I'm expecting a situation where, for example, Javi Galan, the left wing back, tries to attract Odriozola to him and that opens up spaces for, say, Rafa Mir or for one of the midfielders to make runs like into that channel and try to get like a good cross or cutback into the box. That Those are the kinds of things that I am scared of uh, from our defensive, from the defensive aspect for Real Madrid. Anything offensively? Um, they, you know, they scored, Real just scored four goals in that last game. They also had quite a bit of U-shaped possession. You didn't get much out of Asensio, which you might get a better version of Asensio now. Um, anything that Real Madrid can exploit here? Yeah, so I think because of Huesca's pressing, so the key here is Huesca are going to press and if Real Madrid are not fast enough after beating the press, they're going to have track back and they will be already in a deep block situation. And then we go with the typical Real Madrid versus deep block pain that we've experienced throughout the season. So mm. I think the tactical key to this game would be Real Madrid moving the ball forward quickly enough, uh, more quickly than they can track back. And that, And I think the only way you can do that is to turn this game into a send long balls and through balls to Vinicius and Asensio in transition. And may, and I think that would actually be uh, uh, the best bet uh, to, to score and to create danger against them. What, last one. We'll kind of end with this. Um, what do you see Real Madrid lining up with? So well, as far as, as far as our lineup, oh god, so many injuries. I know it's hard uh, to keep track of who's so, available, who's not. <clears throat> yeah, I and at this point, well, the main the main thing will be that yeah, Odriozola will still be at right back. I would expect that instead of Asak, we're gonna get Vinicius on the left wing. So I'm expecting our wingers to be uh, Vinicius and Asensio, and then. Uh, uh, and then the rest of the normal names, uh, everyone, and then the rest of the starters in the lineup. So Benzema as the four field and every, like, basically everyone else has expected. So the key things I would say are Odrio Solad right back, Vinicius on the left wing. And, uh, and yeah, I, and it's just nice to have Ramos back. 
Uh, yes. So because that that will make a life easier in a lot of ways. So I do think that this is a game where it would be nice if the team played less short passing and just went a bit more direct because I think that would help against this kind of opponent. Let's see how that goes. I'm always interested after the game to reflect on our discussion that happened before the game, but also the scouting report you actually write for the site. It's always fun revisiting that and looking at the things that were discussed and kind of, and they've all basically held true. I don't think there's one that hasn't held true yet in terms of your analysis and your scouting. So I'll be interested to see how this one unfolds um, and how cognizant of realms are of, of things that they can exploit with Huesca. Jose, thank you for your time, my friend. Appreciate all your work. Everyone go check out managingmadrid.com and check out uh, Jose's analysis that will go up at some point before the game. And obviously just a bunch of news, so, so much news right now on the website in conjunction to all the analysis that we're doing. So go check that out. Jose, thank you, my friend. We'll chat soon. Take care. All right. Thanks for having me, Kian. And thanks, everyone, for listening. See you around. <laughs>